Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Polycast. This is episode 345 with no guest co-hosts because they keep turning me down. I'm Canis Albinus, and I'm joined today with the regulars of Makalua. I'm, I'm like qualifying in the Italian Grand Prix. This is not a cluster situation. I'm Ian Team. You just won't listen to me and use persuasion by force. And Mega Bears fan. It's okay, Canis. I'm here. I appreciate that very much. <sighs> you'd think you think that after doing this for almost for nine months now, I'd finally be able to actually figure out how to get people to join the show, but nope. Well, sometimes I. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I ruined it. No. (laughs) Okay, now go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, sometimes I think people, when asked, and I think this is even when Dan asked, thought that there was a lot of things they had to do to be a co-host. And at this point, it's basically show up on our Discord and talk. Show up on our Discord and answer us. Answer us when we ask questions. Yeah, <laughs> we, we 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 have lowered the technical threshold very much, so everybody can have everybody can co-host. Yep, you mean we're not asking under- people to know like how to do the intro and everything without telling them anymore. Yeah, well, well I don't think we do that to a first-time co-host at this point. But <laughs> hopefully, I think I Dan did it to everybody. Yeah, well, was- that was. That was Dan. I know. It was great. Yeah, I, I can definitely say I was super nervous the first, like, two or three times uh, Dan invited me to co-host. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> feeling. Although my and first time on Polycast back... was as a call-in, but... Yeah, and I think that was back when he actually did expect uh, uh, guest hosts to do the intro, and uh, I, I screwed that up, like, several times. You were in good company. And he gave him clips for his blooper reel, so he was happy. Yep. Blooper reels are kind of a lost art now. But yeah, anyway. The blooper, oh, go yeah, ahead. The bloopers happen live now. Bloopers yeah. happen What's live What's not a blooper now. is that we got a September, the September update. See, there's a blooper for you. There we go. <laughs> Every episode is a blooper reel now. <laughs> All in. of them. All right. Uh, yeah, so, so for X, yeah, yeah, for once, for X puts out a video before. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hmm? Remember? There we go. Now I need audio it. cues for my audio cues. <laughs> anyway, first topic. We have a September patch, which thankfully for us, Fraxis put out during the week right before we podcasted or recorded the podcast as opposed to right after we did it. But we have a September 2019 game update. And it, I don't, this thread is talking about the video, but I, I know I saw a list somewhere. But The list is actually in our Polycraft chat. Oh. Uh, let me, I can go and copy it real quick, but basically there's new maps, coastal city replacement or coastal city update stuff. Um, some balance adjustments to do with, oh, it is in the Renaissance channel. Yeah. I'm copying it over right now. Sorry folks. Live difficulties. (laughs) One day I'll learn to put all this stuff in. Okay. I've set a message limit. What? Oh crap. (laughs) 
Discord, well, you're being stupid. <laughs> hashtag just Discord things. Well, I, I did flip over to the other server temporarily there. So uh, let's see. We updated the admirals with a bunch of uh, updated a bunch of admirals with new abilities. Uh, Drake now gives you a privateer instead of seventy five gold. He still has his plus fifty sea trade plunder bonus. Magellan gives a free copy of a luxury in 300 gold instead of the plus four loyalty. I'm going to guess that's a retirement bonus. Yeah, those are all retirement bonuses. Okay. Nelson also instant builds a lighthouse in a shipyard and retains his 50% flanking. Themistocles now gives a free quadrireme and 20% towards naval range instead of the plus two loyalty. Leif Erikson also gives plus one sight range to all naval. Uh, Rahendra Chola now plus three strength to naval instead of 50 gold and 40% sea trade plunder. Hmm. Wait, I could have swore I saw that Leif Erikson gave all your units the ability to cross oceans. It does, it, but I think uh, it's always it done that. Yeah, oh. he always, yeah, Erikson, Leif Erikson always had that, but now he also gives the plus one sight range. So not only can you get into the ocean faster, you're going to be able to see further. I guess that's somehow referring to how the Vikings had better maps or something. I don't know. I think it's because they sailed further in the medieval era. Mm. Because they did land in Canada. Yes. Uh, Chinese name I'm going to have trouble pronouncing, but now it's plus... I think that's Shanghai. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'll let you take take that one. Uh, It's now plus one trader and plus one trade route and plus two gold to both civilizations for the foreign trade route instead of just plus one envoy. Yeah, that's a lot more useful. Yeah. And the second name, also Chinese or possibly... uh, Possibly... Taiwanese, not Taiwanese, uh, Thailandish, Siamese, uh, Xing, Xin. Mm. That one's hard. I can't recognize that. Yeah, one. That there's one, too I many H's the... in that word. Yeah, it will come out sounding bad. But anyway, it's now plus five hundred gold. Was only plus one hundred and retains the sea trade plunder. Nimitz also Nimitz now gives you a free sub and plus one oil per turn, which I guess that's to run the sub. Yeah. And Grace Hopper now unlocks two random texts that, uh, instead of one information era tech. Wait a minute. Does that mean that submarines now require oil? Because I don't think they did before. Hmm. I don't think I saw that later down. Maybe the plus one oil is just a bonus. I mean, because I swear I've seen that with another one that gave a free unit later on that it also gave you a resource. Yeah, that's uh, several of them do that. I think it was a uh, it's a. A uranium unit that gives you free resources. Yeah, how are you supposed to run a giant death robot with that uranium? Yeah, that's what it was. (laughs) Okay, other little changes. Uh, Halicarnassus Wonder is now plus one science, plus one faith, plus one culture on all coast tiles, but loses the free admiral and extra charge on admirals. You still keep the extra engineer charge, though. Uh, Lighthouse... Excuse me. Lighthouses get plus two housing if the harbor is coastal city adjacent. Fisheries are plus... 0.5 0.5 housing, shipyards are plus one production to all unimproved coastal tiles, and campuses gain plus two adjacency from adjacent reefs. Mm. I like that change. Yeah. Because we're uh, to coastal cities. Yeah, they kinda, yeah, they needed something. What they really need is, uh, ironically, um, unfortunately topical, is they need to do something about hurricane damage because there's no real way to mitigate it, and it's so devastating. And no. completely random and unpredictable yeah i mean yeah there's so little you can do about it and it's its impact is egregiously out of out of balance compared to what the other disasters do when you think about civs turn scales yeah if it happens in like 
200 AD, it's going to be 1000 AD before you've recovered. And there's a pretty yeah, good I, chance that you'll get hit by another one before then. So I've said before that I I don't think the idea of having like medieval or early Renaissance levies uh, would, you know, be unprecedented or out of the realm of, of reasonableness. Yeah, they weren't they weren't as structurally to the scale of stuff that we have now, but they did have smaller dams and so they probably would have built around a city that was constantly getting flooded if it was they needed it for some uh, military or economic reason. So you could just scale down the damage or, or like finally fix district scaling too. That would be yeah. other options that would help a ton. Let's rotate to somebody else to do the map scripts. Does anybody else see this? I think I'm on the right page, page six. Oh, he's got something else that, yeah, well, that's one of the part that, that, you know, all these patch changes are nice. This is the part I think everybody got excited about was map scripts. Yeah. We get Terra back. Everybody starts in the old world and there's a new world continent over there that's filled with the city states and other things. I wonder how that'll play out in Civ 6. Like, it made no sense at all in Civ 5 because of the, um, well, (laughs) Tradition 4 city meta or Liberty 6-ish, you know, 6 to 10-ish or whatever. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of room in your empire for more cities. I don't remember. Uh, so it's really been since Civ Four, but in Civ, even in Civ Four, it was generally not played like you would get much advantage from going to the New World. I wonder if uh, Civ Six is going to be any different. I think the resource cool uh, requirements might uh, might make expanding onto another continent a lot more viable and useful. Maybe. Like, if you're me in the past few and I think this also happened to Ruben last time, you're stuck in a corner and you don't have resources for mid-late game. Especially yeah. if uh, especially if Firaxis actually put into the map script that the script generates more resources on that second continent. So, you know, maybe everybody's got like one or two sources of, of iron and horses sitting around, and then you get to that other continent and there's a bunch of coal and a bunch of uh, niter. Or maybe that would just- be cool. Just luxury resources, since that's what they went over there for in the first place. That too, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like probably some distinct ones that maybe aren't found on the uh, the what do they call the old world continent? Yeah, yeah. Things like the tobacco and spices and other things, which are reasons and cotton, which are reasons they came over. I think you almost need to put unique and strong strategics over there, though, just to just mm-hmm. to make there enough incentive to do it. I know it's not historical, but that would make it cooler because now. Everyone really would be fighting over that if the game uh, went that light. Right, because the issue with making it luxuries is uh, like it's kind of like a self-creating problem is you build the more cities to get the luxuries, but you only need the luxuries because you're building the more cities. If you weren't building the more cities to begin with, you don't really need as many of the luxuries. Kind of? Yeah, but also having the unique ones would because sometimes you get like multiple copies of one resource, but you need an extra new resource and having a new unique resource on the Terra continent or the, the the new world continent as part of Terra would give you incentive to go over there and get it. Yeah. I mean, there's some incentive for luxuries. I just don't think that's going to carry uh, as much as making as it worth uh, yeah. a mid to late game settling spree. Is it like just the turns it takes to move and settle those and then get them set up? Like good players are already winning in the time frame where that's going to yeah. do a lot. The Terra map isn't really one that a um, high-powered, quick-winning uh, power player would use. It's more of a role-play map. Yeah. But there's nothing I, wrong with It's a with cool that. idea. And I think if they do distribute strategics over there, now you have some reason to use it. But if we talk about the winning times for the Deity players being sub-200 turns, it takes yeah, how... Yeah, easily it, sub-200. A it, lot of T-150s. 
like 150 uh, turns really it takes that long to build a settler and move it across the map it's a bit of an exaggeration but yeah it kind of does feel that way it's taking a tenth of the game to get a settler over there yeah yeah it, it's 150 turns to get to the point depending on whether it's cut off via ocean or not to get over there and discover a spot to put a settler and then build the settler and send the settler across and actually start the city. And then you're already done with the game. So if they're yeah. winning, if they're winning space at turn 150, you, you can safely say that they're going to have access to ocean going technology much, much earlier than that. Yeah. The problem the is rest of still us. by the time they're set, they're capable of settling that city. It's still, they're still going to win the game before that city really does anything useful for them. Yeah. So it, like the faster you are, it, it's still, it, it kind of stays irrelevant regardless, almost. That, and I wonder if having all of time. the, um, if having all the sieves on the one continent would dramatically speed up uh, domination victories because you don't have to go as far to get to all the other mm. players' capital. Maybe. I don't know. It was pretty similar to other single continent map scripts in so far in terms of domination time. And given that they're putting some of the city states over there, at least you know there will still be some around later that the AI hasn't eaten. That's true. And there's so, some of them that have those nice bonuses that you might actually want to use. And that would be another reason to go hunting for the new world, even if you didn't settle on there. Especially if you're the first person to get there and you can monopolize all of them. Yeah, get a lot of extra bonuses from that, at least. You're right. Exploration would be pretty valuable compared to earlier games, just on that alone. The other, the other two map types we definitely know about, there's a Mirror, which is all four quadrants of the map are identically mirrored, and you can set the spawn either by normal, random, or forcibly mirrored. So I guess you, this is to make sure you put, like if it was doing a six-player game, you could, or, you, or four-player. Well, this was going better in my head. <laughs> <laughs> forcibly mirrored, so you can set spawns to be, to be mirrored, and resources to be mirrored, and land shape to be mirrored, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So this is a great one for like competitive multiplayer. You make sure everybody has exactly the same kind of start. So nobody can say, well, he got a better start. No, you've got the same thing. You've got the same land, the same resources, and all of that. And it's also you can make sure... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you make sure the player spread is also even as well. Basically a, a random version of the Snowflake map. Yes. Because that was the one problem with Snowflake, is it, it needs to be a little more random. It's like, oh, I'm on this arm of the snowflake, you know. And the other one we definitely know is in there is Primordial, which is referred to as an absolute bleep ton of disaster terrain with giant volcano clusters, for example. Sounds Ooh. like Beyond Earth. <laughs> I just need some mind worms now. Or, I mean, aliens, lol. The picture they showed was more mountains than the Highlands terrain and volcanoes everywhere. What? The idea was set it on four on level four disasters, and whoever wins is the one who's still alive at the end. Oh man, that may have been an exaggeration, but I like to think that Probably. that's possible in Civ. Can disasters actually wipe cities, or do they just reduce them? I think they just reduce them. Yeah, I've not the, heard even, of disasters it, or seen them wipe cities. I know nukes used to be able to in Civ Five, but who knows? We do have three other maps that we know exist from the UI in the video continents yeah. and islands which is basically great plains plus or not great plains plus continents plus <laughs> from uh, hold on <laughs> I'm i live in great plains plus damn it for yeah for for those who don't know great plains plus is mackie's least favorite map oh it was my favorite too many really planes what do you do with planes oh settle yeah. on eh. 
There was no yeah. reason forests on the sides of the maps. A little it's bit. True, in Civ Six, it would be less bad because marginal I, cities are less bad in Civ Six than in Civ Five. So that's there something. There was there was a, a image I think of the continents and islands map in their video, and the the one that they showed made it look like more like the archipelago map, where like the little island chains and stuff seem to connect every continent. And I'm hoping that's not the case because I'd I'd still like to have a map type where there are two separate continents, you know, that have to be divided completely by ocean, but then also still have the island chains and stuff like that coming off of them for you to explore earlier. I don't know. Like, it feels like the map is just too small to have that kind of map. Because I remember back in Civ 4, you used to have six continent separate or six continent maps that were all separated. Yeah, it might be a problem. I, uh, you I, could maybe probably replicate that by doing like a high sea level or something like that. Maybe you'd have to. Somebody can write a custom map script to do it, I think. But I don't think it would turn out well. I kind of feel like it would be. It would be. The continents would be too small, which means that you'd see each other's borders across the water, even though you can't connect to them. So you'd meet somebody by your ocean tiles touching each other. Yeah, it's possible. Another big difference between Civ 5 and uh, Civ 6 is the districts. So, like, having a bunch of one-tile islands uh, isn't as viable in Civ uh, 6 as it was in Civ 5 because you don't have any room for districts. Yeah. It, the, the biggest problem with Civ 5 and Civ 6 is just the sheer lack of number of tiles on the map. There just needs to be more. And the game needs to be balanced for there being more. We need to have twice as many tiles and twice as much movement. At least. At least. I'd say and more visible. that much distance between cities extra, too. Yeah. Double the scale of everything, and suddenly the game becomes a lot less... Like, it feels like when you're playing this game, you have your units that, can own, that take up the entire field between two cities that are probably, I don't know, let's say they're 50, 50 miles apart... And you fill up that entire space with soldiers, and that's only like five units. It's like, guys, this doesn't work that way. You don't f- have that many people. How many people would that be on an on an actual army level? What's the population it's, that would be required to maintain an army that large? It's very rare to be able to set up a city siege that does not spill over onto adjacent cities, where you're getting bombarded by multiple cities and multiple encampments, especially considering how tight the AI likes to build their uh, cities yeah. together. becomes yeah, an a, issue. A word that I frequently use to describe the maps of both Civ Five and Civ Six, and it's a little bit worse in Civ Six because of the districts, is claustrophobic. Yes. Very. I, I do know that the reason the maps were the size they were in Civ Five was they picked the map size that was as big as they could go before it started crashing at the end of the game. So yeah. I can understand it being a reason why Civ Five would have that problem. Civ Six is a different engine and should be better because it's six years newer. There's ways it- to handle that size of an array structure without it crashing. Yeah, I guess maybe it's like- just a technical issue, but... Yeah, my guess with Civ 6, if it's a technical issue, it would maybe be because they put like too many animations and stuff like that in the game. Well, that would be a memory issue, but memory isn't as big a deal for like tile sizes as it is for things like lists of objects. Yeah, like, it you- depends on how much they're actually rendering and animating that's off the screen. Hopefully not much, if any. Hopefully they understand the concept of the window. Like When I was taking my graphics course at university... The first thing they taught us when we got to 
descript or got to graphics projection was anything outside you cut off because it's not necessary unless you know you're going there very quickly. And on a game like Civ, maybe it'll take a few extra seconds to load the graphics, but I think we'd be okay with that if it wasn't meant that, we could have bigger maps. Wasn't that an issue with Civ Five? Didn't at, at one point they actually have to like fix it so that stuff wasn't being animated outside the window at one point? I, I thought that was Civ Six that has still had off-screen animations. I, I think they both true, do. But- I know that Civ Five still, if you had the the animations on, you'd still wait in between turns while Civ Five planes would go. Yeah, I'm sorry. In Civ Five, you could completely disable animations, whereas in Civ Six, you couldn't. You would just have them like set to quick or whatever. So the off-screen animation became more problematic. Yeah, I'm not sure that's still a thing though, or at least they they did something uh, to make between turn times faster. I don't know if it was fixing that or something else. All I know is it's problematic to, for it to be the way it is. But that's not really the topic we're talking about. So That's true. The next map type that we have seen is the Tilted Axis map type. And we haven't really seen an example of this, but I think it it just means that your spot, you're going to, to scroll over the, Z, the Z-axis instead of the X-axis, which is uh, always fun. It wasn't the because it wasn't tilted axis. The one where you were the planet was sideways or something, yeah. and so the middle <laughs> was the uh, the middle was the ice caps. Yeah, there was a like a streak of like tundra and ice that went like I think diagonally up the middle of the map. Oh, and then uh, like deserts and jungles and stuff like that were I think vertical features instead of horizontal features. Then what was the one that I was thinking of? Or did that never exist and I'm just extrapolating from something that doesn't exist? A donut or something? Or torus-shaped map, maybe? Oh, yeah, the donut, lol. (laughs) Toroidal. It would make the world a donut. Okay, that might be it. Yeah. And then the last map type is the splintered fractal, which... Isn't fractal fractal enough without splintering it? I was going to say, it's already kind of long, snaky continents. I think they just broke it up so it's a lot of smaller land masses. Yes, you have a higher like a quantity fractal of archipelago. That would be pretty cool. While they're at it, can you mess around with Pangea so it's not so it the map script doesn't decide that Pangea means I'm gonna squiggle an S shape and call it a Pangea. Well, well it's, it's technically, technically a Pangea if it's all one piece, no matter what shape it is. <laughs> yeah. Although that does yeah. kind of go against the nature of what you think of when you think of a Pangea. Yeah. You think of the one we've had on Earth where everything was crammed together in one massive continent. And the number of times it is not that and something closer to a fractal map is kind of like, guys. I guess the question is, is it a is it a mature fractal or a mature Pangea or a young or old Pangea? Because if it's young or old, it's already falling apart. But if it's mature, it's fine. Sorry, I'm talking in jargon. <laughs> I'm not even sure if that's the correct jargon. That's just what I call it. Anyway, other general balance yes. changes. Camps get an extra gold and get an extra Gold at synthetic materials, up from one at each time. Fishing boats get production at colonialism. Plantations get food at feudalism. And rock bands have been adjusted so that they the indie promotion only drops 40 loyalty instead of 50. Still probably overpowered, but what can you do? Album cover artist only one level on Wonders instead of plus two. Music festival now allows performances on National Wonders. Uh, plus one expected 1k tourism as well as national parks pop star is now 25 percent tourism to gold instead of 50 
Space Rock allows uh, 500 campuses, or 500 for campuses and spaceports, and with universities, 1,000. And Surf Band allows performances at seaside resorts for 500 and harbors, as well as, I want to say, 1,000 for water parks. I can't see the extra half of that because Discord uh, decided I was spamming the chat. Yeah, the, the, the Surf Band, it was resorts and harbors for 500 and shipyards for 1,000. And it used to be only resorts, just like the previous one was only spaceports originally. Yeah, all four Tier 4 governments get an extra policy slot. Um, which means that military uh, corporate libertarianism gets a military slot, technocracy gets an eco slot, an economic slot. Eco usually doesn't mean eco- economic, and then digital yeah. democracy gets a diplomacy spot. And the yeah, veterans- I mean, I was briefly confused when you said an eco slot. I'm yeah, like, huh. it's like reading this is like, wait a minute, ecology? What the heck? No, wait, nope, that's not what we're talking about. Economy. Yeah. The veterancy policy now includes harbors and the buildings within instead of just encampments. So that's Mm. nice. It gives 30% production towards buildings or towards units that have that building or something. Yeah, now your Navy's covered too. Yeah, which is nice. Should have been that way to start with, but I can understand why it wasn't. And I think that was all that we have on our list that happened. Oh, there is a super secret multiplayer mode that is coming that... We don't know anything about, and they spent 15 seconds on dramatic pause teasing to us, which was, mm. you know, very friendly. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for not telling us. Gee. Well, they could have talked about sus- everything. They didn't have to do it that way. I mean, they could have just said, more is coming. But then again, it did make us talk about it, didn't it? We can also give a long pause. And, and then everybody's thing. speculating about everything in the background. Does this mean this sieve? Does this mean that sieve? Guys, chill. I it's an even, update, not an expansion. I didn't even notice the background, but to be fair, in the previous videos, they have put things in the background of videos that were hints to what was coming. So, they are actually speculating with reason. <clears throat> yeah. Before Phoenicia... But they've, been, they've also been well-trained to speculate, and sometimes it's just a prop. Well, I mean, they did find the entire list of Civ, 5, uh, Civ 6 leaders from an accidental... <laughs> showing in the in the background of a video so it's not (laughs) it's not exactly unheard of but then without precedent but then they would they would always have these specific things in the background that have referenced the next civilization like they put they put purple drapes up or draperies or something when phoenicia was the next week's civ during the the pre the pre-release streams so you're thinking okay so what is what is famous for this shade of purple? Oh yes, Phoenicia. But anyway, are we ready to move on? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Phoenicia and other civs that could potentially hypothetically maybe be in the game at some point. Uh, Phoenician Gold posted a topic on the Civ Fanatic forums uh, asking, which would you be happy with uh, with regard to uh, the presence and inclusion of Southeast Asian civs? Uh, currently, we only have one in Civ 6, and that is the Khmer. And uh, Phoenician Gold posted a poll asking people whether they would want a combination of like 
three or four different sieves in city-states, and if so, which ones they would want. And it looks like at present, the lead with uh, 50% of the votes would be the Khmer, Burma, Siam, and Vietnam as four full-fledged uh, sieves. Also remember that Khmer is already in the game, so that's why Khmer is always yeah. first. Right. And Indonesia would... Yeah. No, guys, I got to take them out. Well. Indonesia is the, the they, they were talking about this in the thread. Indonesia is kind of separate from like even though it's in the same area and is technically connected to it, they're tech they're more culturally different because Southeast Asia used to be called Indochina and is much more closely related to Chinese culture than Indonesia is because Indonesia is heavily influenced by Indian culture comparatively. Which is why there's and no more there's outside not a lot influence of, on top of that, huh? And more outside influence on top of Indian culture, yeah. Big Which Muslim is, influence as well. That's yeah. the reason why, and not yeah. just Muslim. There are Muslims in South and there aren't Muslims in Southeast Asia, but there are in Indonesia. So that's part are, of what I was trying to figure extent. out if it was if it was just a religious division there because of that, or if it was also cultural. Because I I had not realized it was based more off of India. We went down that way, as opposed to the rest being more related to China. Well, before Islam came, they were Hindu. Majapahit was was a Hindu nation. Yeah. Some six hundred years the influence. ago or so. <laughs> There's the outside influence. Yeah. Of course, they were all taken over by Europeans later. But blah 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 blah. Colonialism, colonialism, blah blah. Generic, generic, generic. Uh, it looks like almost everywhere. Yeah. It looks like from this from this poll, the top. What, what is it? It's not sorted by top. Yeah. It's really the, obnoxious. The top but... choice is really they want those. They want Khmer, Burma, Siam, and Vietnam all as full-fledged civs. If you, you look know, at the, have... the top ones, Burma is first in 79% of all of these. Because if you look at the, the top two, 50% and 29%, Burma is first after Khmer on both of them. Yeah. And then we got... Vietnam at 50%, or Siam at, at second, at third for 50%, and then after that, Siam doesn't appear again until 20% of the vote in the fourth most popular choice, after which, which is after Vietnam. So I would say the correct order for what people want in terms of main civs are Burma, Vietnam, Siam, and then city-states. And city-state order seems to be more along the lines of Bangkok first, and then Pagan, and then anything Hanoi. else after that. Looks like Hanoi doesn't really factor in much. Because Hanoi is in last place on all of these. So, And then, of course, there's, uh, like, the second post is, well, why not these other civs, like uh, Malay and the Philippines? Because, you know, anytime we have a discussion about what civs are in the game and what civs aren't, there's always somebody who's like, well, what about these other ones? Or Shampa, or, yeah, there's there's a lot you could go with that. Because, I guess, it, it's just a reminder of, remember that there are hundreds of Native American and First Nations tribes in North America, and yet not, only two or three of them are in civ. Yeah, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to formulate the argument exploded against... into a hundred different civs. Yeah, a lot of these were like legit empires, though, or at least relatively large nations that lasted a long time that we actually have historical data on. Which uh, all of those things are not true for First Nations. I do think the Western Hemisphere does need more representation too, but 
we don't like it would be hard to make a unique unit and ability that is uh thematic to history for many of the first nations whereas with some of these that shouldn't be true they have fairly long histories and significant size to them part of the problem is for all the smaller indonesian states indonesia exists so they're kind it would be kind of like saying oh well this this subgroup of indonesia is more important than the rest of indonesia (laughs) Which, it's sort of like taking one of the states in the U.S. and deciding that gets to be a sieve. That would be like if Texas US. was a sieve. Hey, wait a minute. We well, were actually a republic for 10 years, dang it. Yes, but Brunei was a separate sultanate for a long time, and so were Lang Zan and all those other people in... like Indonesia, as a, as a cohesive unit, didn't really exist until 1946, Ish. This is the same problem as in India, and it, it is a little silly. Yeah, because you can say, okay, well, then the United <laughs> States covers all the First Nations, <laughs> or yeah, not, it, or it, nearly all the First Nations in the Northern Hemisphere. Or no, but the way they treat India, you might as well say the U.S. covers every First Nation in North America. It, they're basically saying that when it comes to India and Indochina. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I do know the different regions of India are, are different culturally and could be their own civs, but we're not doing that. You know, for no reason. Have, there's, there's no yeah, reason. Despite, doing yeah, that. despite the fact that we have both Sparta and Macedon. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that we have all those different, like, how long was the Hungarian crown ruled by the Habsburgs, and yet Hungary and Austria are considered separate countries? I mean, uh, the entire timeline of the game Europa Universalis, which is what 450 years. That entire time, historically, Hungary was on a personal union under the Habsburgs, and yet they're separate countries in this game. Why? <laughs> You're reminding me of the nation Swahili that was in earlier builds of that game. That yes. was hilarious. It, it, I, I <laughs> That's kind of what Indonesia is to uh, Civ uh, Six in a way. I know exactly <laughs> why extreme, this but... happens. Indonesia exists in Civ the way it does, because Indonesia is the fourth most populous nation on the planet, I think. They're right after the U.S. There's like 300 million people there almost. And Brazil is not far behind that. And Brazil is in Civ. There's a reason why Brazil and Indonesia exist now. It's because they're big markets. So we've gotten to the point now where large civs in, in in civilization are being heavily influenced by who is currently a large market for the civ. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it kind of makes ancient cultures that are a lot more interesting than modern cultures kind of get taken to the backseat a little bit. This is also one of the reasons that I've often said that the uh, alternate leader mechanic is a sorely underutilized uh, feature in Civilization VI, because some of these problems could possibly be resolved by just having more alternate leaders. Like, you could have a bunch of alternate leaders that represent the different like subcultures of India and time periods and stuff like that. Uh, instead of there only being currently, you know, two. And I just wish that Firaxis would make more alternate leaders and maybe not as many, you know, new civs. Like, did we really need Alexander and Macedon to be a completely separate civ and not just, you know, an alternate leader for Greece? Well, when they didn't put him in as a leader of Greece, there was going to be an Alexander, because Alexander is iconic in civ. Yeah. I just didn't expect him to be a whole new country. Right. Like, I, I was really surprised that at some point they didn't just release, like, a leader pack, you know, that had, like, four or five alternate leaders for mm. civs that were already in the game. I thought that would have been something that would have been really cool. They may do that yet. Yeah, we, we could have know. Charlemagne of the Holy Roman Empire. We do know that they're still <laughs> working on civ, so who knows? 
I can't imagine they'd keep patching it like this much longer if they didn't have plans for it. And plus that that nice survey that we talked about last time that that mentioned all the things that we want that we supposedly wanted or didn't want. They were obviously looking for what they could do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we kind of expect one more expansion type thing cuz that's usually their pattern, but we don't know what other DLC and stuff that they were trying to figure out that they could also do before that and also after that to keep an income flow while they're developing Civ 7. Or maybe as a reason to not develop Civ 7 quickly. That seems to be also the way true. things are going. Well, unless they do Beyond Earth 2, because un- unfortunately we have this model now where every studio has to <clears> pump out a new game or expansion pack every year, and I really hope that they don't just spend a year working on Civ 7. Well, we know that Civ 7 took three years to make, or Civ 6 Seven? took three years to make. <laughs> after Beyond Earth, or not after Beyond Earth, after Brave New World, the team from Brave New World went on to work on Civ 6, and the secondary team worked on Beyond Earth and Rising Tide. And we know that it took them... The reason why we had the, those games when we did for 2014 and 2015 was because they needed time for Civ 6 to get ready. So I know I they've they said in the past the secondary that, team. I know that they've said in the past that their usual dev, dev cycle is 30 months. So close to three years. Yeah, but I also hope they don't go the EU route and become infinite expansion packs. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh... Because that, it, it, because one of the problems with that is also it's a barrier for new people to come in unless they condense it down into packs of packs, you know, because otherwise you're having to expend a large amount of money and stuff to put in like the base game plus X amount of packs to even be close to what everybody else is playing. Seems like Fraxis is better at that than, than Yeah, they've Paradoxes. been good so far. It's just that after that poll we got, it's kind of like, wait a minute. Yeah, they were definitely yeah, that was fishing. A concerning. And you certainly can do Paradox's model better than Paradox does it in numerous ways, including Wouldn't just take much. competent basic <laughs> prioritization. But there's still some problems that are fundamental to the model that you really can't get around. So I don't We've had that topic several times that. already. That's true. Let's move on to the next topic. Yeah, there we go. Speaking of Civ 7, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh, question <right>. mark? <laughs> Probably not. Is Humankind Civilization 7 under a new banner? Uh, so this started, started by Atlantis author, but this is quite the long thread now. And this is, of course, discussing the uh, the new announced game by uh, Amplitude. It again? Amplitude, that's right. I, I was about to say Creative Assembly, but that's definitely wrong. It's it's Amplitude owned by Sega, which is also owning, which also owns uh, Creative Assembly. So Total War, yeah, yeah, but it isn't Creative Assembly directly. It's not. It's the, it's not even. T- it's not even ar- partially. It's just they have the same owner. Yeah. yeah, so there's a decent amount of information out on this game now, and it's it, it will be pretty different from Civ Six at least, but it's going to be a direct competitor all the same. We'll see how it goes. Like the first direct competitors uh, Civilization has had since Call to Power? Yeah. yeah. Over 20 years, almost, that would be what, 25 years at least of un... of non... of... Uh, of Domination of the historical 4X strategy without competition. Turn-based historical 4X strategy. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's pointed out this is the same studio behind Endless Space and Endless Legends, so both of the, both. Of, well, Endless Legend, it's been a while since I played camera, but Endless Space 2, where I've been playing, has been good. So, that could be pretty good, actually. And, and we're hoping for some refined battle systems compared to those, is what I'm reading in the thread. I've not actually played any of the Endless games, so this makes me curious to, uh, 
pick one up next sale I get and see how they play out. One of the one of the big ideas in Endless Legend, at least, was they had this um this unit stacking thing where when you were moving your you, you would stack your units into an army and then we would move them around the uh the campaign map as an army as on one single tile and then when you would encounter an enemy army in the field they would break up back into the constituent units and then you would have a turn-based you know hex battle that would like it pause the game it would all take place over one turn of the Mm -hmm. game Uh, civilizations of might and magic yes yeah yeah endless space is the same way you have a fleet that has x number of ships and Depending on how big the ship is, it might take up command points within the fleet. And then, but when you go into an actual space battle, it can be one on one with different ships as you're fighting. So, now, now personally, I, I would hope that if they're going to go a direction like that, that instead of like breaking the army up into the constituent units and then having the battle, I would rather see them do kind of like a thing where they, they kind of, uh, for lack of a better way of explaining this, zoom in on the tile that contains the, uh, the, the competing armies and then break the tile up into smaller tiles on which you have the tactical battle rather than you know breaking all the units up and then making them take up the same amount of space as they would take up in Civ. Uh, I would just like to see the those two things handled at different scales. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I remember because if you're going to have a, a different combat mode like that, it would make sense to use that uh, to use that ability. Because then and that you would can have more varied stuff in your fights. Right. And that would directly address the uh the complaints that we had earlier in the show about the the map feeling claustrophobic and city sieges spilling over into multiple cities and there just not being that much room to uh move units around and stuff like that. So, you know, you'd have smaller scale features being obstacles rather than entire mountains and entire cities being obstacles to the movement of your era uh, individual units. Big would issue I have with zoom in battles like that is it it kind of halfway breaks the covert action principle, which is a thing that Sid Meier talks about a lot, that you want to have one great game instead of two good games. So if you have a, a tactical on-the-ground battle game that's so different from the upper-level strategy game, they conflict against each other rather than working in harmony. And that's kind of why I'm leery of a system like that. One of the big risks of that is the amount of time it'll take to do battles. Yeah. People did mention that in the thread, that it made the game seem long slash grindy. Like I yeah, play, Maybe they'll be simpler to execute. Yeah, I, it does have an auto button. If you like, you know, you've got an overwhelming odds, so. Yeah, but how does that, like, even Hom has auto fights, but, but the problem is so frequently you can't use it because it's so bad. Yeah. The experience I have, have to say you lose so much stuff unnecessarily when you do it that way. Now, if that's not true in the endless series, if auto battle is pretty close to what you could get uh, if you did it yourself, just because it's a simpler model, yeah, then this might not be too big of a problem. But it, you would also then be getting away from the issue Canis is talking about because it would really just be about your build up still. Endless space has the whole moddable ships thing as well, so you build your own ships. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it also makes... It's just yeah. a whole other huge system well, that's hard to deal with. <clears throat> yeah, and for this, they may streamline that. We don't know yet. Yeah. That would kind of be annoying if you're... I mean, the idea of having the new modules you can put in makes sense in a science fiction contest when we, or context. But when you get down into... Like, you're ha- dealing with a medieval unit and you're trying to upgrade their individual, like, armor and shields and stuff, then it kind of comes like, okay, hold up. 
Yeah, that, that... I, I do feel like there is room for a game that's somewhere between Civilization and Dominions in terms of uh, how mm. you are setting up your units and battles and such. Like you, <laughs> it doesn't have to be as complicated as Dominions, and it doesn't have to like just be a completely dice rolled combat like Civ. I think you that, can have that... something between that it, that the four X supports the fighting. I think but that it, niche it's hard. that niche is filled by endless legends stuff. Just well, not, maybe not very maybe well. humankind can do a better version. Maybe we'll see. Well, they have said that this is their dream game that they've always wanted to make. So maybe they'll do a really good job, and it will actually be worth talking about, and it will make Civ a better game because we know that Endless Legend did influence Civ Six because Civ Endless Legend oh, yeah. is where the idea of districts came from. That was yep. that was their big claim to fame was every time they grow in population you get to add a new district to the city and that's that's um, suspected to be the location from which the district idea for Civ Six came from but I think uh, Civ did it better personally. Yeah, but if they got inspiration like that, that's still helpful. But I'm all for competition because competition is what 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 is it the 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 strongest metal comes from the Crucible. Or something like that. Something like that. Has the potential to make both games much better. Yes. And, and there are some things ideas. unique uh, to Endless uh, endless Humankind. <laughs> the, endless uh, Humankind. Endless Humankind, <laughs> Well, yes. humans are in Endless Space, but they're an evil faction, which is interesting. That's awesome. I- I'm all for making humans and games less like the generic slash basic option. Let's introduce you to the Horatio. They're hilarious. I am Horatio, and all of my all of my citizen mates are also clones of the same man. We are. We are all. We are. We are the Horatio. Yeah, yeah, but they're all still individual and up to shenanigans and no good against each other because they want to be the best Horatio. They want to be the Horatio in a sense. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's like I only respond to that. It's like hive mind, but broken, huh? And they think with the rest of you, we're all ugly. By the way, of course, they want you to get up on their level. You have hair. Why do you do this? It's amazing. As Horatio was bald. <laughs> what an amazing concept for a race. Endless space <laughs> but, does have some pretty unique stuff in it. But as for humankind, rather than sieves, you're going to be picking like basically bonuses representative of a historical sieve in each period. And so that's going to be a pretty big deviation from what the Sips franchise does. Yeah, I know I've seen have... it come up in, in forums a lot. You know, people have asked for it. So, you know, hopefully this will, uh, you know, allow the two games to have their, their different flavors and identity. No way. No different flavors and identity. No They're different Direct flavors. competition. Fight it out. So they said that there are 10 Sivs in the ancient era and... You are allowed to keep the same civilization when you change to the next era, but you don't get a bonus from that. So you're encouraged to switch your mantle between eras so that you get new bonuses. And it's a cumulative effect. And from what I was reading, the victory condition seems to be... uh, I, I don't know how you would describe it, but it seems like you can win multiple different ways, but they're not like victory conditions... And I don't understand how that can be. Like, my I think it might guess, just be a point total or something. Yeah, yeah that's my, my understanding. Best guess is, is it would be victory points. So think of something along the lines of the score in Civilization Six, or maybe alternatively, if the era score were 
like a path to victory. At the end of the game, you total up era score and whoever's got the most wins. But hopefully with a better and more robust era score system. Something that at least makes some sense. I do have some concern that this is just going to turn into the same thing. Civic uh, 6 is where you just kill people and then you win because they can't score any points when they're dead. Well, if it, it sounds like if um, if new civilizations appear each era, maybe that resolves the problem. Because maybe in the ancient or classical era, you kill all the other civs, but then the medieval era starts and a bunch of new ones pop. I don't think that's how it works. They don't though. have any. They, they wouldn't have any ancient or classical score because they wouldn't have existed. It, it, unless yeah, like know. unless you always respawn or you always like each era is played as a separate thing where like you win this era but then you just reappear in the next era like and whatever you happened in the previous one is disregarded unless we're doing something like that it's not gonna help much it does say in one of the articles that i read that if you kill somebody and they still have more points than you you still lose yeah that's true but that's gonna be very end game uh probably yeah where that could happen because I would assume that if you're dead, you can't get further points. So you just have to win on the points you've made until you died. Unless there's maybe some kind of like cultural influence thing where like your existence is still influencing the other cultures in the game. And, you know, you have a situation where uh, the Roman Empire wins just because everybody's emulating the Roman Empire. Still, I guess it's going to be hard to make a model that really represents that cleanly, though. Like, it, well, while the nation is dead for a while. Well, yeah, we I'm already, speaking in purely hypotheticals here. We already know that it's not going to be Civ in terms of Civ. So they can do whatever they really want to do. So who knows what yeah. they'll do. And just, I'm trying to picture any conceivable mechanic that lets you meaningfully do stuff when you don't exist anymore on the map because you get well, I think I think once you're dead, you don't get any more points. But if you have more than the, than the live, living players, you still win. Yeah. Which means there's going to be pressure on the other players to eliminate you before you can, you know, get those snowballing points that put you so far ahead it's impossible to win. And that could also be something that just ends the game earlier. I mean, maybe they might have a system where it's like, yeah, no one's ever going to catch up to this sieve, so the game's over. You don't have to go through the next fifty or a hundred turns of just clicking end turn, waiting for that. Uh, that would be nice. Uh, game over screen. That would be very, very nice. It's one of the biggest problems in sieve. I have functionally won the game, but I have to turn through 50 more turns before the game acknowledges this. Because that's the way the rules go. Yeah, but if the rules are better, then maybe it won't be that way anymore. Uh, so another that's true. Another example is, uh, you know, even within the context of civilization, if you go back to Civ 4, there was, I, I always forget which, I think it was the conquest victory, which was that you had to own like 60% of the population and 60% it's domination. Conquest domination is like eliminating victory. everybody was conquest. I always, I always forget which of the, the two this one was called, but that was always my favorite victory condition in Civ 4 because it allowed me to just, I didn't have to focus on one specific, you know, way of winning. It was just build your empire however you wanted to build your empire, whether that was through conquest or through like diplomatically annexing, you know, the smaller civilizations to be your vassals uh, or culture flipping. Like, however you got your sieve that big was fine, and you win. I, I've always been frustrated by five or, uh, by Civ 5 and 6 having such rigid conditions for victory, where, like, you just have to pick one and go for it, instead of being able to just build an empire. I don't it know if there's... pretty a... tough to do domination without military in Civ 4, with the, unless you pulled some, like, really weird shenanigans. True, but you or you'd we're playing on low difficulties, combo. I guess. You could combine it with different things. Like it, you didn't have to capture every other civilization's capital, right? So you could still 
do military action where it was it made sense and was appropriate. Yes, but and vassals only counted for half, and because of what you needed for Dom, it was in a lot of my games where I went for domination, I did conquest by because you I would qualify for both the same turn. I'll put it that way because of vassals only counting half. Yeah, I mean I it was still a better model than what Civ five and six do with domination, but it, it you still wound up having to conquer quite a lot to secure that. I think uh, in a lot of the games that I won in Civ Four with the uh, the domination victory, it was because I also had a, a did the permanent alliance with like another large civilization. Okay, yeah, that would that would definitely change it because those count hundred percent because they're, they're technically back, part of your Civ. Bring back permanent alliances and vassal states, but make them work. Yeah, and when I was playing Civ Four, you know, I was playing it at like the Prince King level. I, I never got to be like an elite level player in that game, like not even close. So your experiences are probably going to be very different than the experiences that I had with that game because I, I was a much more casual player back then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking in terms of immortal deity. I did a lot more immortal than deity, though. I don't Civ know. I still harder. play. On, I still play on Prince and King just for the fun of it. I might be an outlier though. I think uh, statistically on polls, that's still true in Civ Six that uh, most people don't play Immortal Deity. I think yeah, I would. Da- Go ahead. <laughs> there's sometimes I want to fire up a game that's at a higher level because you feel like a challenge. But most of my time when I play a game, I want to relax, and playing Prince and King is more relaxing. I haven't had a lot of time to play lately because of all the stuff I've been dealing with. So it's when i'm when i'm playing civ i don't want to think hard i just want to sit and click buttons and make pretty things happen i just get frustrated by all the the front loading that's in the higher difficulties like just ai gets so much free stuff If, if they could find a way to make the later game more challenging and not have to front load at all i'd be a lot more interested in playing on immortal deity there's not much way to to do that realistically unfortunately unless you did like a bonus scaling type thing which I think I, they guess, already- I guess, but it's still it, like Civ Four had some pretty hefty bonus scaling, but it was still the front loading that added most of the difficulty in practice. Yeah, I, I like I said, I just I don't like that. Um, you know, you go up to like Emperor and above, and because the AIs all start with those free settlers and stuff like that, like it really pushes you towards you. You have to build an army and you have to conquer cities, otherwise you're just going to get crowded out. And to me, that's just not as enjoyable. I, I like to be able to build and expand at my own pace. I mean, there are players who win on Deity without conquering at all, but it yeah, it, 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 it is harder to do that. I mean, Mad Jin did a one city challenge not to. Mad Jin did a one city challenge as Korea on Deity in Civ Five and won. So yeah, it was on his channel until he deleted his channel. Yeah, it it really is just personal preference, you know. Different, and that's one of the things about Civ is because it's such a broad reaching game. A lot of different people just play it in completely different ways and enjoy it, and that's a good thing. And I think that's the end of the topic because I think we're out of things to say about humankind. Yeah. If that's the, the moment, case, anyway. if that's the case, then it's time to pull a. So now, this is the part where I learned something that I had no idea was a thing. Apparently, there's a district discount mechanism in the early game, where if you build two districts of one type when you've only locked two of them, unlocked two possible districts, the second district is cheaper. Man, that's been a thing for a while. Yeah, I, I either didn't know about that or completely forgot about it, 
but I have ne- I had never heard of it, and I'd never seen it. I have no idea how it works even now. So the question of this always- thread started by Adagada never mind. Uh, is a fun challenge, but the opportunity cost is very high if you're doing something like two holy sites for cheap harbors or two campuses for cheap commercial hubs. Who else does anything like this? Is it a good idea to do it? And I, th- yeah, I would say the opportunity cost is variable because sometimes the districts that you can make that's cheaper is something that's legitimately useful to your nation. Like, say, you, you got a couple of campuses and you want a, a, an encampment or vice versa, just as an example. So, yes, I, I use it uh, to at least some extent in just about every game I've played. If but I how much it, depends on what I'm going for. Yeah, if I use it, it's almost entirely accidentally. I, I, I always thought that the way that it worked was just that uh, you got a discount on districts if you didn't have as many of that type of district as other districts. So is this specifically like just with having the first two districts, there's a special mechanic for that? Or is it just a general broader, you get a discount on districts that you don't have very many copies of? I actually have no idea. I have never seen it explained. Oh, wait, here we go. Discount. Okay, this is a mathematics thread. I will post this with the original thread. The cost equals one times or one plus nine times the percent of science slash percent of culture research times base cost. Usually base cost is 54 except 36 for something else and 30 for plaza based on fixed placement. Use uh, something uh, 50% original cost and blah, 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 math, 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 math. Uh, what? I did not understand that any further than anybody else who listened to me say that did. The discounted district costs 60% less than its original cost, apparently. So a 60% discount? Is that what you're saying? It says the district, the discounted district costs 60% than its original cost, 75% for Government Plaza. Which says to me, I think somebody who wrote this maybe didn't speak English, because that doesn't make sense to me. There's a missing word. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just a typo. Either way, it seems like certain te- your percentage of tech and r- divided by your percentage of culture times nine plus one times the base cost is the cost of each district. You know, if this was uh, still an edited show, I would cut this entire t- uh, segment out because I have no idea what the heck this says. Where did you put the link? I didn't put the link in the chat. I will do that right now because I really think we should skip this topic and come back to it next week <sighs> homework that's what we're I mean, gonna I do the, uh... that's what we're gonna do we're gonna move on to the next topic and hope somebody can just f- dis- di- uh, di- di- get a math uh, get a a layperson's breakdown of the math that's what we're going for di- y- yeah because yeah. i just know that districts are broadly less expensive if you have fewer of them and that you want to plan your order based on that uh, when it's when you actually need both districts or want both districts. Yes. But it's true that I don't have the precise math. So if you want to delay the topic, that's fine. That this would be a good idea. Is, the, FYI, this formula is also on the uh, civilization wiki at fandom.com, uh, and it's in a slightly different format that may or may not be more or less readable, although it looks like it might be cut off halfway through, so probably less readable. Uh, I see. The reason this is, sounds like it's not in English is because it's in Chinese originally, and it has been translated. Mm. Good old Google Translate for the win. 
Like, apparently, Ch- Civilization VI has a really big Chinese following. Who knew? There are some attempts to summarize it in this thread. Anyway, oh, okay. we'll I move on to the next to topic Civ- because we're going to run out of time if we don't. Who's the next presenter, presentee? Civ Unique Abilities Elimination Thread. Yep, it's another this one of those. A- this one at least can includes all of the unique abilities in the list at the bottom of the post. So that's a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. That's handy because I can never remember what all of them are. I guess the um, okay. So this is not the tier lists are not or the the partitions for the tiers are not arbitrary. You just have seven civilizations in each tier. Yes, going from S to E. So that's reasonable. Um, we'll read so through S tier stuff. I think we should read through the S tier and then the E tier, and then discuss okay. which ones we think don't fit in the place they are. All right, so the S-tier stuff is Maori, Greece, Congo, Aztec, Russia, Japan, and Australia. I have no comments or complaints about that list. I do have comments, though. Maori, I don't know if the reason it's high is because it's just unique. Because it, it is the ability that allows them to start in the middle of the ocean. So no, that- that's the leader ability. I think the, the mana ability is the, like, plus one production on unimproved forests. Let's see. Um, Maori gets a lot, and if you scroll down the list, you can we can actually read it off here. So you start with sailing and shipbuilding unlocked, and the ability to enter ocean tiles immediately. So you immediately have access to things that uh, most other civs will not be capable of reaching for quite some time. On top of that, embarking in this game, combat strength and plus two movement, so you can explore uh, significantly better if you're embarking, which you can immediately. Uh, and then, yes, you do get plus one production from unimproved woods. However, I you cannot... Uh, yeah, you cannot harvest resources. So that's a significant downside to it. But you do get more food from fishing boats, and you do uh, you do get a culture bomb off that. You can, so however, a... still chop woods and forests, though. Yeah, that's true. You cannot earn great riders either. Okay, so yeah, I remember I remember earn. when they first announced this sieve, and they talked about how it had to be stronger to match the other sieves because it starts in the ocean. I think that's the reason why its unique ability has so much stuff with it. Because it has to have those extra bonuses to catch up in time to be useful. Which yeah, means and that's fair. But if you're just considering it in a vacuum, it's easily the number one ability there. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should exclude them from this particular type of thing because it's designed to be inherently better. That's in, well, that's that and, goes against the rules, though. Yeah. Where they are considering again, the strength of the abilities in a vacuum. And in a vacuum, if you just had a random Civ start with this stuff, that that's pretty good. Yeah, is it number one? Maybe not, but I think it's S tier if we're just considering it in a vacuum. Yeah, and again, I'm pretty sure that the starting on the ocean is actually the leader's ability, not the civilization's ability. So hypothetically, you could have an alternate leader for the Maori that does not start in the ocean and still gets all of the benefits of mana. Yeah, that would be pretty ridiculous, though. I think Greece is a little high compared yeah. to its competition. I, I don't know why Greece is better than any than say Poland because Poland also gives you a wild card. Like where is Poland on this list? They're way down in C tier. Yeah. Okay, so and like yeah, I think compare it with America. Like America's D tier, and I, that's I, I think that's reasonably fair. But while Greece is better, it's not like multi tier better. Yeah, I would so. say America is actually pretty dang good because. They get favor for every wildcard slot they have. And yeah. all of their diplomacy parts go to wildcards. So you get into the later game, or even in the early game, anything with a diplomacy slot gives you favor. 
Yeah, I, I just don't think Greece is that much better than something like America that it, it belongs in S tier with stuff like freaking Maori or Aztec. My gosh. Like, what, what, what? Let's compare Greece to Congo. Relics, artifacts, and sculptures plus two food plus two production plus four gold. The palace has four great work slots plus fifty percent great writer, artist, musician, and merchant points from all sources. Super powerful if you can get those relics. If you don't get the relics, though, eh. Well, even without the relics, you get plus 50% writer, artist, musician, and merchant points, which is really dang good. And also, it's not necessarily relics that matter, it's artifacts as well, and sculptures, which is not too hard to get, even if you don't find a relic. I rarely ever get sculptures. I think there's only like one or two great artists in the whole game that create them. There are three, I believe. There's Leonardo, I think. Is it Leonardo? I think it's Leonardo. Then there's one in the later game, and then there's... Another guy who does two paintings and a sculpture. I think there might be another sculpture person. Either way, artifacts are not hard to come by either. Correct. They're just a little bit later in the game. But here's the question. Is one extra wildcard policy slot better than all of that? Is it uh, better I'm than being able to... S-tier. It's good, though. It's, it, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. It's still a very useful bonus. Is it better than being able to complete district production by 20% with a builder? That ability is so loaded. It, it would be... It's hard the, to experience. The problem with rating the Aztec ability is that if it's if it's not tethered to their ability to get a bunch of builders, then it's not as good. Yeah, Correct, with that you still ability, have to spend the production to get the builders. Yeah, but with, with the ability to get builders just by capturing them all the time, that becomes an amazing ability, especially as the scaling costs go up because you're still getting twenty percent. <laughs> yeah, so that ability is pretty wild. And I think because of the the, scale, the district cost scaling being so wonky, it's a pretty good ability on its own. Uh, the, maybe enough to be S tier, but it's not nearly as strong without the Aztec ability to capture units. Are the Aztecs also able to repair pillaged or damaged districts with a builder charge? I don't know. That's a good that's question. Because that's also a, a big deal uh, with uh, you know disasters and stuff on. I do not know. We might have to check that. Yeah, I, I play with disasters uh, as infrequent as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I play <laughs> because screw that noise. And here's the other question. Uh, here's the next question. Oh, go ahead. I don't know, go ahead. I'm glad. If Russia is Russia right, worthy of being sixth, if all they really get that's super effective globally is eight extra tiles on start, because the other oh, stuff they also get some extra. They also get some extra stuff. Like, they get one faith and one production from Tundra, and they get yeah. units immune to blizzards. And blizzards do more damage in Russian territory to enemy units. What, which, if you're settling properly, blizzards aren't that big a deal, I don't think. I mean, you have some tundra cities, but... I think it's difficult to rate Russia, uh, because those tiles really are significant. Uh, and how much so depends on the game to some degree, but that's a lot of extra land that you're just getting. And compared to some of the other bonuses in this list, like you get it the second you, you put down your first city, and you get you keep getting it. I think Japan so is better than a, that, though. So it's an immediate boost. Well, again, though, you're, you're still talking, like, ten, how many turns until Japan gives you anything at all? See, Japan, plus one adjacency bonus for each district. Um, for each adjacent district, district. So you need at least two districts before you get anything from Japan's bonus. Whereas with Russia, the, the moment you place something down, you probably have strategic resources in range already. Uh, you might have uh, luxury resources available sooner than you would otherwise, just because the, you want the city somewhere with fresh water. That would normally be out of range. Now it isn't. You might have more productive tiles available immediately. 
it's difficult to estimate the precise amount of extra bonus you get from Russia. And you, you do get significant of, extra stuff, and you get it right away. And that's and uh, pretty big a lot help. of money. And you save a lot of money, too, because you don't have to spend that money buying the tiles. You can spend that money on buying units and buildings and stuff. Yeah, well, it depends if you would have purchased the tiles otherwise or not. Because sometimes the tile is more useful than alternative tiles, but it's not more useful by enough to purchase it. So these all make it more difficult to evaluate Russia. But Russia is still pretty good. I, I don't think it's Russia's hard bad. for me to like say it's necessarily better or worse than something like Japan. I, I think it depends on the game. But sometimes, yeah, I, sometimes I think the extra adjacency bonus from Japan would not match up uh, in not soon enough in the game, such that Russia would get more of an advantage from their unique ability compared to Japan. I, I think that's fair. Maybe not every game, but I can understand that. Happen. And then number seven, Australia. We've talked about Australia. Australia is pretty good. Yeah, on some maps, I'd move them up. Uh, yeah, anything with, with the more coastal anything cities forced. That even with, on a bad map, they're still good. Yeah, coastal yeah, cities get always bonuses, and pastures give culture bombs, adjacencies for charming and breathtaking appeal. That's pretty good. And heck, the uh, civilization bonus, as far as I'm concerned, isn't even as good as the leader bonus. The leader bonus of the, what was it, the plus 100% production whenever you liberate a city? That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you could really game that for some some times. <laughs> Let yeah. the AI start a war against me, and then oh look, a hundred percent production. Oh look, instantly I have an army. Oh, I took back a city or took back a city state. You took. Oh look, I still have the bonus for a while. I have another army. Yeah, yeah you can do some pretty nice stuff with that. But here, these these abilities again are near immediate. That that housing, if you settle a coastal city, is immediate. You don't need any tech. You don't need any time. You don't need any districts to get it going. You just need to put the city down. Yeah. Just and, be coastal. <laughs> yeah, and, and this boosts otherwise iffy city locations into being able to grow onto a decent number of tiles to work. So I see why it's an S tier. And it, it, on some maps, I would put it even higher than it is. But this is a, uh, an in general list, so I'm okay with it where it is. All right, now let's look at the E tier stuff, the worst of the worst. Okay, well, there's not going to be a lot of surprises here. Uh, starting from uh, the best of the worst and going down to the worst, we have Norway, Georgia, Spain, Korea, France, India, and Khmer. I only one I have an issue with here is Khmer because even though their unique dis their unique improvement or their unique thing does deal with aqueducts, aqueducts got better in the last patch because they now give adjacency to to um you know. Crap. Yeah, the Dams. Grand Berets are or, pretty loaded. Three you, faith, one amenity, and plus two food for adjacent farms are all pretty significant bonuses. Plus their that unique building is uh, Aqueduct, I believe, isn't it? No, I don't think they have a... I think their unique building is a temple replacement that has yeah. like, slots, and it gives all of your uh, apostles the martyr ability for free. Okay, so I'm thinking of Rome. Yeah, Rome yeah. has the unique... Yeah, you're not, we're not building baths with Kimmer. Yeah, yeah either way... <laughs> These are. I don't think this is the worst one out of the entire list. I don't it's think it's even bonus. close. You, you get to work more tiles, have more productive cities. I mean, I yeah, I'm I'm surprised to see this at the bottom tier. I, think, I would think this is a middle tier at worst. I think, yeah, it, I, think I wouldn't put it high, but yeah, this doesn't belong in the uh, lowest yeah. tier. I think you With could easily put this. I think you could easily put this at the top of this entire list of seven because we go on to the next one, Spain. Can form early fleets and armadas, uh, get trade routes from different continents, give plus one food and production, 
plus six gold on trade routes, international trade routes, plus two loyalty returns for cities with the mission improvement adjacent to the city center and not on a continent. That's pretty terrible. I mean, it's very specific. They want you to play classic historical Spain and go conquer things and go settle on new continents. There are maps where I would move this to middle tier, like as high as C. And then there are maps where this does very little for you. (laughs) It does not help you on a Pangea. No. But early fleets and armadas can be oppressive on some maps. So. (laughs) Yeah. On a naval map, having early armadas could be amazing. But. Yeah. You gotta be on a naval map. You don't want to deal with frigate armadas when (laughs) your next upgrade is like several dozen turns away. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty oppressive. (laughs) But. But that's not going to be relevant on most maps. So I see why it's in this tier. Like Norway, it's more situational. Because like Norway's ability of constantly embarking and disembarking with no cost can also be really obnoxious. But it, uh, it, it's so situational that like it, it's going to be bad on average because it does nothing for you most of the time. But when it's good, it's pretty darn good. I think we can all agree France is really bad. Plus, three, plus 20% production for medieval, renaissance, and industrial wonders. Double tourism of wonders in any era. Pretty yeah. not good, unless you're trying for medieval wonders, which you probably shouldn't be doing if you're on a higher level. But uh, what yeah, else and is then there? On, in multiplayer, it's hard to justify that, too. Uh, there's also India's. India is... Uh, receive all follower beliefs, or re- follower beliefs of all religions that have at least one follower in the city instead of just the majority religion, plus one amenity for each religion and... E- and with at least one follower, plus two religion spreads per missionary, plus 100% religious pressure from Indian trade routes. Yeah. Not great. And it's also hard to control this. Yeah, it, it re- relies on religious pressure. And Without using using missionaries goes against the whole wanting other followers of other religions in your cities. Yeah, exactly. It's giving you a bonus for trying to spread your own, where at the same time your bonus is also based on just letting everybody spread their religion to you. Yeah. So you can't India, be too strong or they'll never get followers. Yeah, India and Congo would be so much better if there was an option in the diplomacy menu to be like, hey, could you please send missionaries to us? Yeah. It does have some... It's it's nice in that when you take enemy cities, you're going to be getting the follower beliefs, and uh, there's often a mishmash of crap in the cities you take. So you will get... You will get the amenity bonus, at least. And... You will get their follower beliefs, at least, on conquering them. So that's something, but I don't think that's enough to move it out of the low tiers. But at least it's useful. I think uh, the next one on the list, or another one on the list, because we're not really going in order right now, I think Georgia isn't quite that bad. Because if you are... The Georgian ability is, when making dedications at the beginning of Golden and Heroic Ages... Receive normal era bo- normal age bonuses towards improving era score in addition to their regular bonus. So what they're doing is they're giving you the dedication bonus for the golden age and letting you keep getting the era score from the normal era version, which you don't get normally as a golden age. Which means once they're in a golden age, they should never be not in a golden age. Yeah, they could chain ages. And golden they're, they're ages are pretty dang nice. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if it's really. I don't know if you'd want to put it super high, but I definitely put it above the E tier. I'd rather put Arabia down in the E tier. <laughs> the final great profit, because sometimes if the game goes a certain way, that great profit you get it so late in the game. What are you going to do with that? Yeah, 
that, that's AI awkward there. for me because like i feel like that's decently useful on deity personally but yes well that's why i said depending upon the game at lower levels the religions do not go as fast yeah and i think the last one we haven't talked about in the e tier is korea korea's ability plus one far farms give plus one food and mines give plus one science if adjacent to a seowon i think we can agree trash yeah that, that it takes a while to get use out of that but, but science is nice eventually but, yeah but the other thing is korea's other stuff is so good comparatively that it doesn't really matter yeah. <laughs> Korea is strong enough even with it. I mean, it's almost like they had to make at least some part of it be kind of bleh because the rest of Korea is so powerful. Yeah. Well, the devs were not operating on the rule to consider each of these things in a vacuum. Exactly. <laughs> and they yeah, shouldn't yeah. be either. That, that's one of the things that makes something like this kind of like uh, almost, I would say, not even worth doing because the developers are deliberately making some abilities for some civs weak because the other stuff that that civ gets are really strong. So uh, it, it's not really fair to compare just the abilities in a vacuum. It oh, this is just the fun diversion thing. I mean, ultimately, if you're picking a civ, you're going to consider the benefits you're getting in aggregate. Right. I, I mean, so, unless you're but... doing like a thing where you're you're randomizing the abilities of the leaders and the the civ, so you're you're mixing and matching them. In which case, you know, yeah, you would you would pick the best leader abilities and the best civ abilities, and then you're considering them in a vacuum. But even then, you'd probably want to consider how the abilities would work in tandem. What is this, humankind? Oh, <laughs> I don't like this joke. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the new meta. <laughs> oh dear. And I think everything else is sufficiently middling enough that we can say it's kind of a wash. I mean, I think yeah. America's a little bit too low. I did really like the Kree's ability when I was playing as them because, I mean, it's it's a free trader unit very early in the game. And, you know, trade routes are pretty powerful in Civ Six, So I, I'm not sure if, if that one deserves to be at the bottom of C tier, but I, I, I wouldn't move it up very much. It's Yeah, it's tough to move some of these around a lot because they're like the other abilities are good, too. And they're not consistent game to game in how much utility you get. I think Germany might be a little low. Just... Having an extra district without needing the population is nice. I think if 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 Greece is so high, Poland definitely deserves to be higher. What is Persia's ability? Satrapies. Plus one trade route capacity with political philosophy. Internal trade routes uh, get one or two gold and one culture. Roads are faster, are one level more advanced than usual. Eh, that's a later uh, early or a late trade route. That's nice. But it's not that great. I can see why it's where it is. Yeah. Iron roads are nice. And the insta roads from Rome are nice, too. Because in uh, maps with rough terrain, that can be pretty beneficial. Well, and on top again, of that... It's not going to carry your save. Yeah. On top of that, though, there's the opportunity cost of, since you already have the roads between your cities automatically, you can send those trade routes out to foreign cities to, you know, get more gold. Instead of, you know, feeling like you need to send them between your cities just to get the road network up and running. Hmm. I'm looking at Hungary here. Plus 50% production to buildings and districts on the other side of a river. I don't know... That one's very difficult to use. Yeah, it seems like that one should be lower than it is because it, it it's difficult to... like. You, first of all, you never... You very not often are you on a river sometimes. Let me say that again in, in, in actual English. You are not often not next to a river in the first place. And the river sometimes isn't long enough for that to be relevant. 
and sometimes the land next to the river is better used for other things, like farms or dams or other things that um, are a little bit better. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't have to be next to the river. It just has to be on the other side of it. So that doesn't no, matter. No, it, it has to be next. I, I just recently played as Hungary for a... a to <laughs> do be literally across the river. And this ability is even more restrictive than it sounds. The The district has to be across directly across the river and adjacent to the city center in order for yeah. this bonus to apply. Oh, that's so garbage. In a lot of, yeah, in a lot yeah, of cases, uh, this is, if you're not, not right on the bend of a snaky river, you're getting one or two districts at best. And in many cases, you have to sacrifice being able to put that district in a place where you're going to get a better adjacency bonus because, you know, the mountains that are going to give your holy sites and campuses all the, the best adjacency bonuses are not going to be right next to the river. So you got to choose, well, do I want a plus three or four campus or do I want a 50% discount and then only get a plus one or eventually a plus two when more districts come up around it? Definitely garbage. It, it's like we wanted, like the one that they make a, bleh, they wanted to make a reference to Buddha and past being across a river, but if we came the same city in a big city, but in, in, in practicality in the game, it doesn't work out very well. Yeah, it's extremely limited, and that is definitely one that I would probably move down at least a couple tiers, probably to D tier, if not all the way to E tier, because I've played with it, and it is very difficult to use effectively. You have to get the map to be just so for it to be good. Yeah. I, I think Mongolia might even be a little underrated, despite how high they are. Mongolia, which one is theirs? You're, you're getting a really easy access to a level of diplomatic visibility. And you get plus six combat strength on it. Or each diplomatic visibility they have over the others instead of the usual plus three. Yeah, you get plus six instead of <laughs> plus three. So but you, you have like you can immediately dump that that one extra from the trade route and get a plus six. Plus six is a lot, and it's that's more easy to attain with some regularity compared to like the continent based restrictions or you know, stuff like that. I would agree. That's definitely too low. Because that's that can be just oppressive if you don't yeah. have countermeasures for that or if they have a great general and that it's going to be pretty difficult to deal with their units unless like you have strategic resources they don't or something a plus i would actually combat. switch uh, mongolia with japan yeah i probably it's, would too yeah and since you could do trade routes so early a plus six that are super early in the game oh my goodness yeah like that's classical era rush timing yeah you can just go into the trade route after you do uh, your st- your setup for building units, and conveniently you have a road right to your target. <laughs> yeah, although you, you don't need to have the road because it makes a trading post immediately. So this, as soon as you get yeah. this unit, you, you can throw it on the on the target <laughs> and get this. But this doesn't stop mattering throughout the game as long as you maintain that diplomatic visibility advantage. You, you still have that plus six advantage all the time. Yeah. As long as you are otherwise investing evenly with your opposition, you always have that plus six advantage because they don't have access. Am I right? uh, Am I right in assuming? Go ahead. I I was just going to say, and as we've discussed before, any small combat bonus is significant because of the way that the the combat uh, mechanics takes the difference in the unit's combat strengths rather than their you know, comparative raw strengths. So a yeah. plus three bonus is just as powerful in the uh, modern era as it is in the ancient era. If I'm yeah. reading this correctly, it's not just plus six, it's plus six for each level of diplomatic disabil- di- visibility they have above their opponents. So Correct. If you're- but yeah, I would not assume that you're going to get multiple levels easily. 
But it, I, it is reasonable to assume that you've invested equally in access to diplomatic visibility. And so the extra one you get from sending the, the trade route it will be a consistent advantage. Available. That gives you a major advantage right when you get first get spies. You just send a spy in and get a diplomatic uh, visibility advantage and build a te- build a embassy or whatever, and suddenly you got a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's timing attacks with this that are ridiculous, but yeah, you, you also have a fairly high floor on top of the the ceiling you can get where you can do some really silly stuff with your combat strength bonuses. That's a lot for a unique ability, especially compared to most of the rest of this. We have any others that we want to discuss, any, or should we just move on to the next part of the the um, scheduled program, which is the outro? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a way to say it. Hopefully, this time it's working correctly, because last time it cut off after the first fourteen seconds. Okay, I guess we're just gonna wait for it. Yeah, am I supposed to start the outro now, or go ahead? <laughs> Sorry. This has been Polycast episode 345. I've been one of your regular co-hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with other regular hosts, Canis Albert. Um, that's a good question. Where exactly did I leave my shoes? The me and team. Have a nice Mongol invasion. And Makalua. I've upgraded from refrigerator Tashis to refrigerator Jenga. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> the truth. Did you see the inside after me throwing those things in? Audio cues feel like they take forever when we're listening to them live. Yeah, um, when I start the audio cue, there's like a, I want to say, three second wait between when I push the button to start the cue and the time the sound starts. So a lot of times you'll start saying something like you guys will start saying the next part of what you were trying to say. And I'll be like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. It's it's we finished this, but it's not started yet. I'm just wondering how I'm going to deal with that. But that is a background issue that the viewers don't need to worry about. So viewers. Copyright, Civilization, no, that's not right. We'll start this over. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 Sound Clips, Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright, the Polycast at thepolycast.net.